It sets up this sense of purpose, but it also tells us that the people that we meet along this journey share that same cycle. The, the challenges that we face are the challenges that we're meant to face, and we don't always have to solve the, the challenges in our cycle, but we can move, move it along a bit further to enable that next generation to come through. And, and what Jerome has just been talking about in regards to young people coming up and you know, just acknowledging that the, the wonderful work that you're doing around sharing culture and then growing your young ones, they're the ones that are on that cycle to be able to move things forward. And, and where we hope to see is uh, this is moving forward is that greater realisation that we are stronger together and that global indigenous network, or that global indigenous vision of where we want to take our peoples globally is, is really powerful and uh, our voices are stronger together across uh, politics, across governance, across uh, business and right across our communities. So it is a great honour to, to be here and, and to work with wonderful uh, organisations um, and, and uh, uh, you know, one of those organisations I'd like to introduce now, which is um, Supply Nation. So I'd like to introduce uh, Michelle Deshawn, um, who is uh, the, the co-chair for Supply Nation, one of the partners on the, uh, impact, uh, the, the Collective Impact Program. Thank you, Benson. Uh, Yalanda, everybody, um, thank you very much for the opportunity to be here. I'm a Cookie Allergy woman and I live in the tropics of Australia, so this is a very different climate for me at the moment. Um, I am absolutely honoured and um, thankful for the warm welcome that we've received over the last few days and in particular, uh, as my colleagues have mentioned, um, the generosity of spirit that is in this room but also to recognise our shared histories and our shared stories. And to all of those who've gone before us and paved the way, I'm very um, fortunate as an Indigenous woman to be able to stand in the footsteps of the matriarchs of my nation and those uh, who went before me, and importantly, um, very proud to be the co-chair of Supply Nation, which is a national not-for-profit organisation that supports Indigenous businesses. Um, we have over 3,500 currently registered with us, and that continues to grow all the time. Um, and I think that one of the most powerful stories that we've seen of recent times against the backdrop of all of those other social justice challenges that I'm sure we're all f too familiar with in this room is the strength of Indigenous businesses and entrepreneurship um, and the, the potential for collaboration globally, um, I think is a really exciting opportunity for us all and one of the reasons that, of course, we're very pleased uh, to be here. I want to acknowledge that I have a couple of other colleagues who are travelling with me from Supply Nation, including my other board member, Glenn Johnson, um, and two of our staff members who are trying to be shy up the back of the room and didn't want to get up on stage. Uh, and we also have a wonderful colleague with us, uh, Wayne Quillam, who's a world-renowned photographer and storyteller, and he's here travelling with us um, to document this really important journey. Uh, as everybody said, I think our politics and um, the challenges that are facing our communities are very much the same, but in Australia we're a little bit... Um, behind in terms of some of the opportunities that exist for tribal nations um, and we are here to learn and to soak up everything that you share with us because we are on a very important journey around changing our democracy and our participation, treaty negotiations um, and uh, hopefully a truth-telling process in our nation about our Indigenous histories and our rightful place as First Nations people. So thank you very much for your warm welcome.
Shammai AFN. Is it happy AFN? Woohoo! Hi, Catherine Gottlieb. I'm really quickly going to introduce Chairman Tuko Morgan from New Zealand and his uh, CEO, Donna. He's going to say a quick hello. And then we'll talk to you again Saturday morning. So happy AFN. Greetings to all my uh, elders and tribal leaders. Chamai. Uh, in our traditional language, I'm a, a person of the river. And our river greets yours as our sacred mountains greet yours. We come here with humility for one single purpose, and that is to learn from you so that we can take the knowledge and the experience back home. Both my... Uh, both my chief executive officer have just come back from the United Kingdom on a mission to try and uh, negotiate a national supermarket giant to be owned and run by iwi, by our people in New Zealand. It was a very successful uh, set of negotiations, so we come with a sense of excitement that we've got a deal in the UK and we come here to say hello to you, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā tātou katoa. In case you've just joined us, you're listening to live coverage of the Alaska Federation of Natives Convention coming to you from the Denina homelands. You've just heard a presentation welcoming international visitors to the Alaska Federation of Natives Convention. Every year, more and more connections forged across the globe with indigenous peoples. And this group from Australia talked about business opportunities that they would like to forge with Alaska Native businesses. 1 p.m. today in room one on the second floor. So for our veterans, there's a, a workshop happening at uh, 1 p.m. on the second floor. AFN, when a, when a lot of us think of AFN, it's hard not to think Julie Kitka. Uh, and Julie Kitka, we might have had a, a virtual thing happening these last couple of years. She figured it out quickly, and technology kept us connected and, and working. And uh, in my little experience here, I don't know anybody that works much harder than Julie Kitka, our president. Uh, and CEO of the Alaska Native Federation of Natives. I'm welcome to the stage to give her report. Julie? Julie has led the state's largest Natives organization uh, for three decades, uh, since 1990. Uh, Co-chair Joe Nelson, members of the AFN board, uh, distinguished elders and delegates, it is my pleasure to be here, and I'm so happy people are here in person. Those virtual conventions just didn't work for me. Uh, but I appreciate your patience. And I'll tell you a quick story. And like I said, this, pre this report's going to go on for about two hours, so sit back and relax right now. <laughs> um, 
the first Zoom that we did in one of our conferences went for nine and a half hours, and we had uh, the top military commander sitting there, no coffee breaks and no lunch. And then after that, we learned, oh, yes, you have to have coffee breaks, you have to have lunch, you got to. So after that, we never held another Zoom past four hours. Um, but our first one was nine and a half hours. Uh, again, I'm so happy that our convention is in person this year. It's been a long couple years, um, and it is good to see you. And I want to reflect on those early days in the pandemic before I bring us up to where we are now and what we can look forward to. Again, I put on the pandemic, the, I place it back to um, January 29th and 30th of 2020, AFN hosted an Alaska Day conference in Washington, D.C. to focus our attention on federal priorities. Almost as an aside, we invited the Center for Disease Control in Atlanta, Georgia, to come and talk about the epidemic in Wuhan, China. We had just recently had an evacuation plane refuel at the Anchorage International Airport, as the governor mentioned, of 50 diplomats and about 200 other U.S. citizens from Wuhan as they traveled to a three-day quarantine base in Riverside, California. At that time, there were 7,700 cases reported in China. Outside of China, there were 170 cases, of which only five cases were in the United States. There were reported 170 deaths worldwide, but the virus was starting to travel to many countries. We were told that the trajectory for it was not to become a pandemic, but to remain a localized epidemic. In less than 12 weeks, the disease spread from a wet market in Wuhan across China and was out in the world. The spread of the virus was undeniable, and we were facing the first pandemic in our lifetime. The threat for the disease that it would overwhelm our attempts to contain it, overwhelm our health systems, a huge amount of the disease and its mutations were unknown. But we were learning more about its biology, the dynamics of how it spreads, and how our tribal health system was prepared and adapted. In March of 2020, the tribal health system shared a medical model of possible paths of the disease. I must tell you, it scared me to death. One model predicted 14,000 hospitalizations and a huge numbers of deaths in Anchorage and the Matsu Valley within three months. And research showed that Alaska Natives were extremely vulnerable and projected death rates would be four times that of other Alaskans. The AFN leadership and our whole team were spurred to do everything that we could to help. AFN's top priorities to address the pandemic were simple, four goals support our health system by securing rapid by securing resources for Alaska health professionals including rapid testing personal protective equipment medical supplies and ventilators although Alaska is a low population state during a national crisis with hot spots and large population centers across the country AFN would continue to press agencies and officials to get our health professionals the resources they needed our second goal was to work to save lives. Medical models aside, we need to do everything in our power to save lives and prioritize it above all else. Three, focus on our vulnerable populations, engaging with local, state, and federal governments, the health and social service systems, industry, and the statewide Native community to, quote, flatten the curve. That is, to keep the number of Alaskans needing intensive care below a certain level so that the health system is not overwhelmed. 
Again, research showed that we were projected to, to die at four times the rate of the disease than other Alaskans. The need to prioritize our care and protection continued, both for protect, personal protective equipment, testing supplies, prioritization for vaccines when they became available, and for support the economy and recovery of our tribes, native corporations, and state. And this economic recovery is continuing today. We knew that the coronavirus pandemic was impacting every person on the planet in ways not seen since the 1918 flu pandemic. The remoteness of rural Alaska villages delayed the arrival of the virus, but could not stop it. Our cherished native values of community cooperation and caring for others was and continues to be never more important than during this crisis. Individually, every Alaskan could help by practicing social distancing, washing hands, and self-isolating if we became sick. This was a crisis, and everyone's help was needed. We were working 100% on this to protect our people's lives. We had daily and hourly meetings with the state, with the governor, and our leadership in our cities and villages. We paid attention to supply chains of a possible closure of the Port of Seattle, reduced shipments and food security issues. We knew if the commercial food shipments and the rural transport systems got disrupted, we would have to do workarounds. We even urged SpaceX and OneWeb to speed up the deployment of their satellite systems for, so our people would have access to immediate information and our people that went out to their fish camps or hunting would not be surprised if they came back to a hot zone in their community. Then we had the federal government acting with the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act, CARES Act. AFN worked with our congressional delegation to ensure tribal provisions were included in the stimulus package passed by the Congress and signed into law on Friday, March 27, 2020. Keep in mind, we only first became aware of this the end of January. Congress is already moving. AFN continued to stay in close communications with our congressional delegation and the governor to help advance Alaska Native priorities. We all know key provisions of the CARE Act included a historic $8 billion set aside for tribes and Native corporations and Native Americans across the country. And the portion of the law which allowed our Native corporations to continue their efforts to help in the pandemic ended up being litigated all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court. This competition for these historic levels of funding set off a major conflict with the lower 48 tribes in Alaska. And we'll discuss more on this later during a panel discussion at the convention. Two notes of pride I want to share with you, which you may have remembered when we talked earlier on that, but something I still remember, remember with a lot of pride. We worked with our military partners and health system deploying 45,000 pieces of personal protective equipment, not from the state or from FEMA or even the national stockpile, but came from the military's wartime supplies in Alaska. It transferred over our tribal health system at a time when we had 15 cotton swabs in the Alaska Native Medical Center and Alaska Regional Hospital combined, 45,000 pieces over to the tribal system. And then working further, our, our tribal health system, AFN, everybody working with trying to get testing equipment. And we got leads on through the help of Senator Sullivan and his, his friendship with the chairman of Abbott Labs to get early purchases, private sector purchases of testing equipment from Abbott Labs in Chicago. And we got 
the equipment before the state did and before the military. And our tribal health system lent testing equipment to the military so they could keep their rotations going. How about is that for a real partnership? They help us, we help them. I mean, people don't, don't remember this or think about that, but to me, I'll never forget that. FN worked tirelessly with our partners to work with the federal agencies as they develop national formulas and rules going forward. And keep in mind in this CARES legislation, there was a lot of federal agencies that had no experience in dealing with Native Americans, and they had huge amounts of funding that they had to push out. Treasury Department had a huge learning curve that Tara Sweeney and others had to help, but FN was right in there helping them on their national formulas. And then when the vaccines became available, we worked with the state and tribal health system on prioritization and encouraged everyone to get a shot and a second shot and a booster and now another booster. Federal action continued because the recovery was not robust and damage was very severe. Next, we had the American Rescue Plan signed into law in March of 2021, $1 trillion in new federal resources and tax credits continuing many of the programs started by the CARES Act and including additional provisions and direction in the Consolidating Appropriations Act of 2021. And we're busy implementing that and for the next three to four years we'll be implementing that because of the historic levels of funding going into that and these agencies still working on developing their, their national formulas, how they're going to define it, who's eligible, and most of this is all competitive funding. Most of it is in tribal streams, state streams, everything. Tremendous amount of coordination with the state needs to happen as we access these resources. And then further, you have the Inflation Reduction Act signed into law in August of 2022, which is about strengthening health and ending the pandemic, which had $300 billion in deficit reduction, $369 billion in energy security and climate change program. Federal guidance is being developed as we speak, and AFN is engaged with the Biden administration on carve-outs for Alaska. And this is what we mean by historic levels of funding and monumental policy changes. Our goal is very simple, leave no one behind, gather critical information, form partnerships and coalitions, and get our fair resources to rebuild, using the wisdom from our elders and our own life experiences seeking answers, holding discussions, weighing other views, planning, seeking agreements where we can, and then acting, always acting. No perfection, no waiting for protection, just the very best that we can do. Working together, building alliances and partnerships, working to settle our own problems, maintaining our independence and confronting any challenges head on. The bonds of our culture and mutual values required us to solve our problems, to settle all our outstanding problems, and the way we tackle this is like a breath of fresh air. No evasiveness in analyzing things. Working really hard to understand complex and complicated issues. Reviewing enlightened proposals and innovation. And not bound by timidity of others in probing for unexplored opportunities. Often there's good reasons to be discouraged, but we are sustained by our conviction that our people remain resilient and want a good life and obstacles need to be re removed and set aside. We're also sustained by the many good friends we've had the chance to meet and the dignity of our people and of honor. Our people are the embodiment of resilience with honor and they keep a sense of humor. 
I want to call out our first responders and our tribal health system leadership and employees and our tribal consortiums, our tribes and communities, our regional village corporation leadership and members, and thank them. I want to thank the State of Alaska and Governor Mike Dunley, Commissioner Crum at Department of Health, Chief Medical Officer Ann Zink, especially Randy Raro, Governor Dunley's Chief of Staff, who helped us set up our Navigator project right from the start. Thank you, Randy, and members of the Dunleavy administration. And call out leaders of the military in Alaska, both their doctors and the health system that they have, but their chain of command for their tireless work across the military to help us during this pandemic. Thank you to our current commander, Lieutenant General David Nahum, General Glenn Van Herc of Northern Command and NORAD, and General Ken Wilsback of Pacific Air Forces in Hawaii. And Lieutenant General David Crum, who just retired and really bore the brunt of the Zoom calls and meetings, Again, once attending a nine and a half meeting straight. And I'm really sorry that he's not here today because all his engagement with the convention is all virtual. And, and I can hardly wait for him and his wife, who've retired here in Alaska, to join us at a convention and you can meet these remarkable people that have helped us. And Lieutenant General Tom Boussier, who's at U.S. Strategic Command now and just been nominated to as a four-star to head up U.S. Global Strike Force, who also, he's the one that helped us with the governor on getting um, a federal uh, unified change of command and also those military supplies. So we look forward to welcoming him again at a future convention. And then, at least I forget the U.S. Army, who is building up their presence here, Major General Pete Andresiak, who is now over in Germany, and Major General Brian Eifler, uh, who you will get a chance to meet tomorrow. And then, last but not least, on our military leadership, and I want to thank General Torrance Sachs of the Alaska National Guard, who is a hero in his own right, and we thank them and deeply appreciate their work and mission. We have a little slideshow that we'll show later this convention of the work that they did on um, the, uh, the, the big storm in the western Alaska. And I think you'll, after seeing that slideshow, you'll be amazed at how many people stepped up to help. And thank you, uh, General Sachs. Now I want to talk about right now. Before I talked about the lead up on the pandemic, I want to talk about right now, and then I'll talk about what to look at in the future. Later in the convention, we'll hear more about the AFN Navigator project and its groundbreaking work. And I want to ask Nicole Barmio to stand up. She's my executive vice president and general counsel and her team for the tremendous work setting up this Navigator project, among many things that she's doing. And thank you, Nicole. Um, if you want to know the genius behind AFN, there's one of the geniuses. And then Ben Malak, if you, those are the senior people on our team. And I can't give them enough credit and honor for the hard work that they do. So thank you, Nicole and Ben. The original charge by the state, uh, as I said, the governor's office asked us, uh, us to set up this navigator project was to go and capture $300 million in, the, in six months' time and make sure it doesn't leave the state and get lost. Within the six months, our navigator project touched $770 million, or nearly three-quarters of a billion dollars. I've never seen this magnitude of things, and this is the project Nicole and her team's been doing. Just, I can't tell you how diligent they are in the navigator project. Again, we'll have a panel discussion on that later in the convention, but I want to highlight for that to you. Also, I want to thank Sherry Beretta and Chigash Alaska Corporation, who provide bridge funding to our navigator project when that funded, funding ended December 31st, and thank the governor and the legislature who proposed um, 
appropriation in this existing legis last legislative session uh, to continue the work of the Alaska, uh, the FN Navigator Project because they saw its true value. And we anticipate that this Navigator Project will need to work for the next three, four, five years in order to capture those opportunities so that they don't escape. But more on that later in the convention. And while work continued in implementation of the CARES Act, defending our rights in the U.S. Supreme Court, we also challenged the state over the cost equalization and whether or not it was sweepable, and we won that case. The governor and AFN agreed not to appeal the case further as the core issue was established. Power cost equalization program was here to stay and not sweepable. Later in this convention, we'll honor Senator Lyman Hoffman and his, his heroic efforts to establish, protect, and grow the power cost equalization fund. AFN was active in the census effort to ensure our people were counted. AFN was active in the redistricting effort and even contributed to a new body of state law in gerrymandering. AFN continued its work in food security and protection of subsistence hunting and fishing laws and practices. More will be talked about in this convention. We also helped others get the law on state recognition of tribes passed, and thank you to Representative Tiffany Zalkowski, Liz Medicine Crow, Barbara Blake, Richard Peterson, Senator Mike Showers, and many others. State law on child welfare compact, and again, thank you, Nicole Barmio and the child welfare advocates and Representative Zalkowski. Five years ago, the state of Alaska signed a landmark agreement with 17 tribal organizations and individual tribes right here at our convention to begin the transfer of child welfare services and their related funding streams to the signatory tribal co-signers of the Alaska Tribal Child Welfare Compact. Since then, the parties have met annually to negotiate five scopes of work which have allowed them to together avoid taking Alaska Native children into state custody. In one instance, this was done in less than 24 hours with a newborn infant. Annual funding has grown to $5 million a year, up from $1.5 million, and the compact has been codified in state law, providing stability and certainty for future state administrations. IFN has continued to facilitate annual negotiations, working with the state and the tribal co-signers to improve the life outcomes of Alaska's children. Thank you again, Nicole, and the child welfare ad advocates. And, and the governor and the, the commissioner of, of health and public safety. Um, and Representative Zalkowski, another sponsor. You see, I have a lot of thank yous because we work with people, right? So oh, I want to make sure you know we don't do this all ourselves. If and together with our partners, advanced and accomplished a new state statute authorizing a demonstration project on tribal state education compacting. A first, thank you, Commissioner. Um, Michael Johnson from the State Department of Education, Joel Isaac, Senator Gary Stevens, Senator Roger Holland, Senator Tom Baggage, and many others. AFN, since its inception, has advocated for top-notch schools that fully incorporate Alaska Native languages, culture, and teaching met methodologies. There have been progress, but despite the efforts of dedicated educators, Native leaders and good parents, Native stu students are still not reaching their true potential. What we know in our hearts and is supported by decades of research is that the traditional Western education system continues to fail our children, and this must change. During the past year, AFN worked with the Alaska Department of Education and Early Development the Alaska legislature to develop a pathway towards voluntary compacts that would authorize tribes to authorize, operate 12, K through 12 schools. 
We're pleased to report that legislation was passed authorizing demonstration state tribal education compacts. The state is currently inviting interested tribes to submit applications to be part of developing model compacts. This is a tremendous opportunity for tribes to partner with the state and transform education for our kids. And while AFN is encouraged by the state's support for acknowledging the roles tribes should have in Native education, we stand firm in our belief that the federal government also has a continuing duty to provide education programs for Alaska Natives. Federal legislation passed decades ago singles out Alaska schools and bars federal funding for the benefit of Alaska Natives. This is discriminatory and possibly unconstitutional and simply not justified in factor law. It has requested that federal funding be made available to meet these obligations and that any actual or perceived restriction on the availability of federal funding for schools serving Alaska Native students be removed. Basically, you can see we have been very busy trying to be smart and use our time well on the top priorities. So now what lays ahead? What are our future work together? I'll be kind of quick on this one, but our first uh, First off, we accept the world as we find it, and then we take action. So if you think about it, we're not high in the sky. We're not dreaming this and stuff. We're saying this is what we're faced with, but we're going to take action. So the first priorities will be cited here in the convention and the convention resolutions you passed, and, of course, the AFN board and their direction to us. Taking the lead in public thinking and strategically taking action, never losing or bypassing on our core values, safeguarding our interests and advancing our common goals. Second, we'll continue to engage with the Biden administration to advance our interests and seek new areas of collaboration, public-private partnerships over long-standing challenges in infrastructure, energy, climate change, erosion, village relocation, and strengthening resilience. We have a sense of our priorities and a sense of urgency and we also have some really solid good ideas to put forward to them. Third, we will continue to build our partnerships in building out our broadband in our state, working with tribal partners, the state, and the federal government, and ensuring that no one is left behind. Relationships matter, and AFN will build and build on those relationships. Fourth, we will continue to build our partnership with the military in Alaska to ensure Alaska Native people have a seat at the table as priorities are discussed and implemented. Because of both climate change and the Russian aggression in Ukraine, we are becoming higher and higher on the national security priority list. Remember, we tend to think of war in Ukraine as a geographical place, far from us, but in reality, war is never a geographical place. Our northern border touches the huge landmass of Russia, who owns 51% of the Arctic. The sensitivities and potential for disagreements and conflicts are real. And we as a Native community must bring our capabilities forward. We are not without the ability to shape our own future. Fifth, we need to take greater ownership and control over state systems which impact our lives, such as the compacting efforts in child welfare and education. We need to advance areas to build on the state recognition of tribes and advance our presence in every sector. Six, we need to actively support innovative ideas, such as the Millennium Challenge compact idea that Vivian Corthius keeps bringing up from Bethel, which is a five-year compact concept dealing with resilience, disaster, climate change, and which we recently advanced to the White House and they expressed a warm reception to the concept. So thank you, Vivian, for continuing to put pressure on that. 
And last, we really need, really need to continue to, our work to rebuild our economy and not let others determine our future. Working together, we will accomplish more than working alone. I want to thank you for your support. Thank you for being who you are. It's truly an honor to work on your behalf. Thank you. Today's broadcast is supported by Chalista Corporation. All shareholders can register at mychalista.com, get direct deposit, update personal information, and more. Visit mychalista.com. Also by Rasmussen Foundation, working to promote a better life for Alaskans. Connect with the foundation and learn more at rasmussen.org. Welcome back to KNBA's coverage of AFN. We are awaiting a presentation from the U.S. Secretary of Interior, Deb Holland. She'll be addressing AFN in a virtual presentation. The room is full in anticipation of the keynote speech from U.S. House Representative Mary Peltola, historic in many ways, the first Alaska Native woman to serve in the U.S. House. Now we are going to go back to the podium where AFN co-chair Joe Nelson is addressing the gathering. Secretary Holland, though, is one of our own, Raina Thiel, who we all know and really appreciate her making those trips back and forth, back and forth from, from home here to D.C. Uh, and, and, and we did all visit uh, just a, last month or so in D.C., um, so it was good to see them in D.C., but Raina, come to the stage, please, uh, and really appreciate your work. Raina is senior advisor to Secretary Deb Holland in the, in the Department of Interior. Hello, everyone. Yagali Du. Good morning and happy Native New Year. Happy AFN. Thank you first to the AFN leadership, Anna Hoffman, Joe Nelson, Julie Kitka, for inviting me to briefly deliver a few words of introduction for my boss, Secretary of the Interior, Deb Holland. I'd also like to acknowledge AFN's Ben Malat and Nicole Baromio, who I know have worked very tirelessly on this convention. My name is Ray Nathiel, and I serve as Senior Advisor for Alaska Affairs to Secretary Deb Holland. In my role, I'm responsible for giving policy advice to the Secretary and ensuring that the Department's policies reflect the input of Alaskans. I am Dina'ina Athabaskan and Yupik, and enrolled in Pedro Bay Native Village. I was raised across rural and urban Alaska, including spending my younger years in my father's village of Alexander Creek, and living seasonally in Bristol Bay and my mother's village of Pedro Bay on Lake Iliamna. And my mother's actually here in the audience. Hi, Mom. It's my great honor to be the first Alaska Native to serve in this role at the Department of the Interior, and I believe it's a testament to the priorities of Secretary Holland. The Secretary is an enrolled member of Laguna Pueblo in New Mexico. She is also the first Native American Cabinet Secretary in U.S. history. Prior to... <laughs> Prior to the Secretary's current role, she also served as one of the first two Native women in Congress in history. Her career has been one dedicated to blazing trails for Native people. She has kept that mission close to her heart as she leads the Department of the Interior. As many of you know, the Department is one of the most impactful federal agencies for Alaska. 
The department manages hundreds of millions of acres of Alaska's lands, has a trust responsibility to 229 tribes, and has responsibilities to Alaska Native corporations as well. In fact, just this afternoon, um, we are hosting a listening session on co-management and public lands access here at AFN uh, at 1 o'clock in room 2 if folks have interest in joining us at that session. Secretary Holland understands that subsistence is life in Alaska Native communities, and she is committed to ensuring that traditional ways are safeguarded into the future. With that, it's uh, my honor to introduce the Secretary of the Interior, Deb Holland. Thank you, Raina. Thank you so much for that introduction and for everything you do at Interior to ensure that the voices of Alaska Native communities are heard. Thank you, Julie Kitkow, for your wonderful leadership and everyone for all the hard work. I'm so happy to be here. Greetings, leaders, colleagues, and friends. I'm honored to join the Alaska Federation of Natives Convention. I'm sorry I couldn't be there in person today. As you know, I spent a week in Alaska this past spring. Though the temperatures were low, our spirits were high. I already can't wait to come back. I saw firsthand the beauty and the bounty of that integral landscape the many different Alaskan habitats and ecosystems that support the beautiful plants and animals that breathe life into our earth and are irreplaceable. The interconnectedness of those habitats is especially evident when one is standing in the middle of it. I truly understand that your economy is reliant on functioning ecosystems, and especially the Alaska Native communities whose subsistence practices and ways of life are forever connected to the health of the wildlife and the land. I want you to know that you have an ally in me. I know that you all do incredible work advocating for the many things that Alaska Natives need and deserve, and I thank you for that commitment. And I, want, and I commit to being your partner in that work. I also want to acknowledge the first Alaska Native woman to represent this beautiful state, and I want you all to know how happy I am for all of you. I'm always ready for all of us to work together. I first want to acknowledge the recent typhoon and the storms that caused devastation to your communities. To everyone who was impacted or has family in those areas, I'm keeping you and your families in my thoughts during this difficult time. Recently, the Bureau of Indian Affairs distributed $2.6 million in emergency funding to 45 Alaska Native villages to provide critical resources for communities prior to winter's arrival, including immediate aid for food, water, and other essential supplies. We are also coordinating with FEMA, the State of Alaska, and emergency management and regional staff to respond to ongoing emergency and on-the-ground needs across the state. There is still much work to do, and I am grateful to be part of a team that is forever willing to run toward the areas that need us most. I'm proud of the progress we've made in the past 20 months, but I'm also mindful of the work ahead. Today, I'd like to talk about both. As part of the Biden-Harris administration's all-of-government approach to strengthening our government-to-government -government relationships with tribes, 
We're working to ensure consultation, meaningful engagement, and regular opportunities for feedback with tribal nations and Alaska Native corporations on a broad range of issues. Through the White House Council on Native American Affairs, which was reinitiated under President Biden, we convene tribal leader engagement sessions, which will occur three times a year. Informed by what tribal leaders share during those sessions, the President's Cabinet will facilitate direct guidance and recommendations on the deliverables and priorities of the Council. As co-chair of the White House Council, I see those sessions as an invaluable opportunity to hear directly from all of you, but we all know that those sessions are not enough. I know from experience that cutting through the red tape to get through to someone in the federal government can be challenging. I saw it firsthand when I worked as a tribal administrator, as well as someone who, like most of you, has been on the receiving end of federal Indian policy my entire life. I've seen what it means when Indigenous communities are left behind, and that is why we are working every day to remedy the disparities in access to health care, create economic opportunities, increase high-speed Internet across Indian country, and once and for all ensure installation of even basic necessities like running water. We're also distinctly aware of the salmon crashes occurring across the state and the squeeze many Alaska Native communities feel on your subsistence resources. This year, the department hosted two sets of subsistence consultations, and we're using your input to inform our subsistence management policies. Given our unique trust responsibility to Native communities, I believe that Alaska Native leaders must be in touch with the department directly and more often. As the first Native American Cabinet Secretary, I know how important it is for leaders to have a seat at the table before decisions are made that impact your people. Because we have a lot of work to do. In close partnership with Native communities at Interior, we're working to honor our government-to-government relationships, tell the full story of our country, heal the wounds of the past that impact our communities and contribute to intergenerational trauma, address the missing and murdered Indigenous peoples crisis, incorporate traditional Indigenous knowledge in the co-stewardship of our lands, waters, and resource management, bolster climate resilience, revitalize Indigenous languages, invest in infrastructure for tribal communities, including broadband, and ultimately, ensure that Indigenous communities are not left behind as they historically been in the past. This may sound like a long list, and it is, but I know you'll agree that each of these issues is vitally important. That's one of the reasons why I established the Interior's first ever Secretary's Tribal Advisory Committee, or as we refer to it, STAC. Because although my door is always open, I will not be in this position forever, and so the stack is meant to outlive my leadership. Therefore, the next secretary and the next will have the benefit of the valuable counsel that tribal leaders like yourselves provide to me. We expect this committee to be a permanent fixture that will help ensure the department's policies include and encourage early, robust, interactive, and transparent engagement. As we continue our work, I understand how important it is to heal the wounds that live in our hearts and minds. 
That's why we created the Federal Indian Boarding School Initiative, which is continuing on what we call the Road to Healing. This year-long tour across the country provides Indigenous survivors of the Federal Indian Boarding School system an opportunity to make known their experiences. We've heard stories of heartbreak, of intergenerational impacts on children and grandchildren, and how communities have worked to support each other through that trauma. These stories are not unlike the stories that I heard from my grandmother as I sat at her kitchen table when I was in college. Through these efforts, our goal is to create opportunities for people to share their own stories, but also to help connect communities with trauma-informed support. Part of this initiative will create a permanent oral history for survivors in all 50 states so that these stories are documented in perpetuity for all Americans, because Indigenous history is American history. The days of recounting the trauma and the tragedies Indigenous people have endured are not easy, but they are so important. It's the way to connect us to our past and remind us of the responsibility we have to the future. It's also a way of elevating our history beyond our own communities, which I believe is critical to continue to be heard and respected. It's not just about today, but for our future generations that we do this work. If we're serious about protecting that future, then we must be assertive about addressing climate change. Taking care of our planet has been important to me my entire life, but I also know that it is important to every single Indigenous person in this country. It's part of who we are. It's part of the knowledge that our ancestors passed down to us. Like many of you, I was taught many of our traditions by my grandparents. When I was in the cornfield with my grandpa, he taught me that we should only take from the earth what we need and nothing more. He was taught those things by his elders. From wildfire prevention to managing drought and famine, our ancestors used nature-based solutions to coexist with our lands, waters, wildlife, and their habitats for thousands of years. The Biden-Harris administration is committed to working closely with tribes and local communities to conserve and protect our lands and waters for future generations. Just last month, we announced new guidance to improve co-stewardship of public lands, waters, and wildlife by strengthening the role of tribes and Alaska Native communities in federal land management. As communities continue to face the effects of climate change, indigenous knowledge will benefit the department's efforts to bolster resilience and protect all communities. As you all know better than anyone, the Arctic region is warming at four times the global rate. Traditional ways of life are threatened. Communities are at risk of being literally washed away. The time to act could not be more urgent. <clears throat> Two weeks ago, the administration reinforced its commitment to Alaska and the Arctic by publishing a new national strategy for the Arctic region. The new strategy sets the standard for consulting, coordinating, and co-managing with Alaska Native tribes and communities pursuing sustainable economic development and investing in infrastructure to improve access to services. I believe it is a critical path forward as we address the special challenges that Alaska communities face. Nowhere is that more evident than in the historic investments in the President's bipartisan infrastructure law. 
This week is Legacy Pollution Week at the department. It's an opportunity to honor the work that has been done and the opportunities ahead when it comes to reclaiming abandoned mine lands, plugging orphan oil and gas wells, and addressing the lingering impacts these legacy pollution sites have on communities and the environment. Nationwide, we know that millions of Americans live within just one mile of an abandoned coal mine or orphaned oil and gas well. These legacy sites are environmental hazards and jeopardize public health and safety. They contaminate groundwater and emit pollution, litter the landscape with rusted and dangerous equipment, create flooding and sinkhole risks, and harm wildlife. In Alaska, this law is making resources available to clean up legacy pollution with an initial $25 million this year to clean up high-priority orphaned oil and gas wells on state lands and up to $1.3 million this year to reclaim abandoned mine lands, which will reduce air and water pollution and create jobs. This is only a fraction of the resources coming to the state from this important law. It's part of our commitment to ensure that we are centering the experiences of Native communities as we move forward. Interior lived up to that commitment when we took the final step this year to open up 27 million acres of public lands managed by the Bureau of Land Management to eligible Alaska Native Vietnam-era veterans so that they can select the land allotments they are owed. One step at a time, we are working to right the wrongs of the past. And every time we take one step forward, we do so knowing that it will impact not only communities of today, but for generations to come. This is the first time in history that a Native American has served as the United States Cabinet Secretary. That's not lost on me, and I'm determined to use my position to right the wrongs that Indigenous people have endured. We can all work together to conserve our lands and waters. We can all work together to restore balance to nature. We can all work together to heal the wounds of intergenerational trauma that we all carry. And we can all work together to leave behind a deserving future for the generations that come after us. It's the responsibility we have, not only to the ancestors who lived on this land before us, but also the people who inherited after us. President Biden and I are committed to that vision for the future. With $1.7 billion from the American Rescue Plan to help tribes recover from the COVID-19 crisis, $13 billion from the President's Bipartisan Infrastructure Law to invest in tribal climate resilience, water rights, and infrastructure projects, and $411 million included in the Inflation Reduction Act for Native projects. The Biden-Harris administration is investing in Alaska Native communities so that this vision for the future can be possible. I want to thank you all so much for everything you do for your communities. My door is always open to you as we continue to work together to ensure the federal government lives up to its trust responsibilities and I continue to look forward to my next trip to Alaska. Thank you all so much for being here. Thank you for caring about your community so much. And um, Dawa'a. Today's broadcast is supported by Donlin Gold, committed to environmental stewardship and bringing economic opportunity to the Yukon-Kuskokwim region and Alaska.
Also buy the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services with health insurance options for Alaska Natives from birth through old age. Learn more at healthcare.gov. And by ConocoPhillips Alaska, valuing the opportunity to share the rich cultural traditions of its Alaska Native neighbors and partner with Alaska communities. A long-standing ovation for the Interior Secretary, Deb Holland, who just addressed AFN. You're listening to live coverage of AFN, broadcast by KNBA and Kwanic Broadcast Corporation, and carried on Native Voice One. All of your work, and we really are looking forward to that next visit. So, Glachish, you're... Charting new grounds, you're a first, but we know you're not going to be a last. Uh, and there's just genuine love uh, coming from Anchorage in Alaska here for you, Secretary Holland. Thank you. Thank you all so much. Secretary Holland dabbed at her eyes to brush off tears, so moved by the applause and warmth from AFN. Our relatives from Australia and New Zealand that had a brief introduction. Uh, and our, our, our friends and relatives from Japan weren't in the room yet, but they're in the room now. So, so it was going to be a brief introduction. Um, was that our, it? From, from our, our, our guests and relatives from Japan, can you make your way to the stage? And just a brief introduction. I, I know I think you're here for a little while to visit. We welcome you to AFN. We're excited that you're here, so thank you for being here. This is a continuation from a presentation this morning in which international guests were introduced from Australia, and these guests are from Japan. Mr. Nakamura is the representing the Ainu Association of Hokkaido, Japan, the indigenous people recognized it only three years ago. Thank you very much, and he's very grateful to be here to meet everybody. Thank you so much. The Ainu are well known uh, from Japan as an indigenous culture. And he said arigato, which means thank you in Japanese. So we are awaiting uh, a speech, the keynote speech from U.S. House Representative Mary Peltola. And this room has been filling up all morning, I think, in anticipation for this keynote speech, which will be historic. It'll be the first time that the Alaska Federation of Natives has heard from an Alaska Native House member. And, and I'm making this introduction now because it's just such a powerful moment uh, in, in our history coming out of the pandemic, and it's our Native, our Indigenous thinking that, that is on everybody's minds. And it's our indigenous women that are breaking new ground by bringing their ancestral knowledge and wisdom to this place. 
and, and I'm just here for a fleeting moment. You know, I'm a brown bear. I'm a takeaway each other. I'm the brown bear or matrilineal. So it's just an endless line of brown bears that I come from. And this whole effort here this morning uh, really just gives me gives me the chills because of our indigenous women. And the co-chair, that means there's two of us. So all of you know Anna, my, my partner here at AFN. I'm going to hand it to Anna. Uh, and Anna, all of us know, is from Bethel. She's been doing a tremendous job uh, at AFN as co-chair. We, we've known each other uh, quite a while. And it's just, for me, just such a huge, incredible moment. I also have my other connections to our, our special guest speaker who's going to make her way to the stage. But I really want us to to focus in on and channel the power of our mothers, our grandmothers, uh, in this moment as real leaders that are guiding our way forward. Because it's real. It's happening. It's happening now. So, Anna. She's given me a little break from this, so I'm going to hand it to Co-Chair Anna to take over from here and make the next introduction. Anna. The floor is yours, and thank you for your work. Oyana Joe. Good morning, Tamakpji. Oyanga Juanich, Ilaput Una, Yushutput, Mandlan, Manna Sujalaga, Achakauluni, Huangutnun, Yugunun, Si, Ikayori Lachdok. Aya gakluni su yakfanun, alchut lichnun ilagausuni. Martin Murishkaka, Huatentang umyot nilrenga. Una agask, nuktun ayokok. As we prepare to welcome Congresswoman Peltola to the stage, I'd like. I'd like to take a moment to talk about fish. <laughs> Specifically, let's reflect upon the courageous and adventurous life of an Alaskan salmon. Like Mary, our salmon start out in Alaska's remote streams and rivers and they remain in these locations to school together and prepare themselves for life's journey. They mature and learn ways to adapt to upcoming changes they will encounter as they grow. Over time, they move from the clear waters of the rivers to the salt waters of the oceans. There, they confront changes in their environment, and they work to avoid threats. At times, in the vastness of the ocean, salmon stay together in large groups, and they flash their silvery sides in unison, appearing larger than themselves and causing confusion to their predators. This is the display and the power of unity. Later, they return to their original streams and rivers where they were born. They readapt 
to the fresh waters, swimming mightily upstream, overcoming rapids and leaping past waterfalls to go home. Inherently, they find their way home to initiate this cycle again. There is an awesome mystery and beauty here, one that sustains us. Like the salmon, Mary has a most purposeful journey. Last month, last month, she didn't just go to Washington, D.C. We, all of us here, the state of Alaska, we sent her to Washington, D.C. On September 13th, I had the privilege of being with her family when she was sworn into office as she spoke on the House floor, surrounded by members of Congress from across this nation. Her children were beaming with sincere admiration and pride and love for their mother. To all of her family, Koyana, Gunashish, Hawa, Deku, Anabasi, Masicho, Oyanakpak, Gun, Chinan, thank you so much for sharing Mary with us. And especially to the two youngest children, Job and Nora, still in high school, we know you are sharing the most right now. For many months, we've heard that Mary is a regular Alaskan, but I don't think that does her justice. Yes, in many respects, Mary has lived a very ordinary life. She has a modest home in the middle of town. She shops for the value packs at Costco, and she maxes out her checked luggage when she's flying home. If her children are using the truck, she'll walk over to have pike and sea loyal for lunch. She'll ask you about your day, and she'll listen to what you have to say. She loves to share stories with laughter and works with others to contribute and grow and make our society better. At times, that work requires her to swim upstream, to overcome rapids, and to leap waterfalls. But the difference with Mary is, she does all of this while remaining approachable and kind. That is the factor that makes an otherwise ordinary Alaskan truly extraordinary. For all of us here, there is comfort and confidence in knowing wherever Congresswoman Peltola goes, whatever she does, she will intuitively find her way home. Representative Peltola's presence and work in Congress is part of her journey, her evolution, and this part 
has only just begun. So let us gather around her, and like the salmon, may we move in unison to show how mighty we can be together. Crowd has given Anna Cook, co-chair of AFM, a standing ovation for her heartfelt introduction of U.S. House Representative Mary Peltola, who is now approaching the podium. The crowd is standing up, applauding, waving fans. Maybe a while before we can hear her speak, the crowd is still applauding. This unity, this is amazing. Huaka, Guyana Dailiji, Guyana Glugula Mavit, Gaskunga. Good morning. Thank you so much, all of you, for being here and coming here. Um, thank you so much for inviting me here to be your keynote speaker. What an honor. Um, and, and before I start going, I just, there, I have this funny story. Um, many of you know Byron Nikolai. He's a talented artist from Tuksuk Bay. And he was invited to speak before uh, and perform at the White House before Barack Obama. And, and after it was over, somebody said, what was it like? You know, what did you think of it? And he said, it was really great. I loved it. But my goal is to perform at AFN. <laughs> <laughs> And I know exactly how he feels. There is no greater honor for uh, somebody who was raised in the bush um, to come to AFN. I feel like AFN is kind of like Native New Year. Um, I, I literally mark time by AFNs. My sister once asked me, how long have you had that cell phone? I said, I don't know. I think I got it maybe three AFNs ago. Um, <laughs> but um, I really want to recognize my husband, Gene Peltola Jr. We know him as Buzzy and my mother-in-law, Pam C., and my stepdaughter, my daughter, Kaylee Ray Peltola, thank you so much for being here with me. Um, but, you know, when I think of unity, I think of so many amazing Alaskan leaders. And I, I cannot think of an Alaskan leader without thinking of the late Congressman Don Young. And I just want to take a minute and ask... Don Valley and Joni Nelson and their two children, two of their many children, and um, these these are people I've known my entire life. And talk about sharing your parents with Alaska. Um, all of you know Lou Young. We all know Don Young. Um, one of my favorite stories about Don, and this happened long, you know, long before I became aware, but. Um, my understanding is that Ralph Nader, um, during Don Young's freshman year, said the most powerful person in Congress, in the House of Representatives, is the baby legislator, the freshman from Alaska, Don Young, because he was able to get our pipeline going. He was able to get Congress 
to get off high center and, and push our nation forward and really build the foundation of modern Alaska as we know it by getting that pipeline going. And then he just had success after success after success. All of the, I mean, I could spend half an hour just going over Congressman Young's lengthy um, list of accomplishments. Um, and nobody can do any job. You cannot be successful at anything you do without the support of your family, without the 100% support and love and encouragement of your family. And Don never could have been as successful as he was without Lou Young and, and his wife Anne in more recent years. But without just the support of his daughters throughout 49 years of public service. And really that was your public service. That was your sharing. And what an incredible thing to share both your parents with the, with the state, with the nation, with the world for your entire life. And leaving Fort Yukon and leaving the Yukon River every year and, and coming home like the salmon do. But I just really want to take a minute and give this family the applause they really deserve for their lifetime sacrifice. I don't know if you just caught that, but Joni, Don's oldest daughter, just gave me Don's bolo. Oh! <laughs> yes. Now I'm a real congressman for all Alaska. <laughs> theme of this year's AFN, celebrating our unity. Alaskans have always had to work together. Our weather, our terrain, our tininess within our vast landscapes demand unity within every community. Whether an Alaskan serves on a community council, a local school board, a school district board, an assembly, city council, tribal council, your homeowners association, or your village corporation or regional corporation. We know we must be unified to work through our challenges and seize our opportunities. Unity is usually the product of leadership that provides and promotes real listening having time to deliberate calmly and build buy-in. Usually our best leaders are unifiers and Alaska is full of leaders who exemplify unifying people and unity.
In my own personal experience, I have hundreds of Alaskan leaders I could name off, but I would miss somebody, so I'm not going to, I'm going to really try not to say any names. Um, and it's this unity that, that is what, where I came from. That's, that is how we survived 12,000 years in Alaska, in, in this climate, with cycles of food. Um, we, we, our, our people have endured numerous famines. And that is through unity. It's through this inherent understanding that we cannot get anywhere alone. It's through sharing and sharing on every level, sharing food, sharing love, sharing encouragement, sharing knowledge, generation to generation to generation. This sharing is just inherent. It's intrinsic. It's the pillar of our success and our survival. Okay, I'm not going to have a drink of water. Um, <laughs> um, so one of the things that has really taken me aback by this whole process is by the overwhelming interest that people from across our state, across our nation, across the world have had in this Alaskan-U.S. Co congressional race. It, it, I find it amazing that people are keeping such close tabs on this race. But I think that it really shows, it, it illuminates to me, and I hadn't really focused on it in this way before this race and before this tremendous interest in this seat. I, I didn't understand the depths that across our nation and across the world we are suffering from a lack of unity. We are very, very divided right now in our country. The House is just about 50-50 in, in Congress. The Senate is, thank you, Joe. The Senate is 50-50 across our country. Um, the last few presidential elections, I mean, really starting 15, 20 years ago. Remember hanging chads? Um, this really shows how divided we are how we are not, and, and, and the other thing I want to say is sharing and unity is not just something intrinsic in Alaska. This, this is what built our republic. This is what democracy is built on. Unity, coming together, compromising, building consensus, building coalitions, working together, seeing each other as humans, um, just all of the things that help us gel and work through our problems. But there is such a lack of unity right now. Um, this pandemic has shown us that we are pack animals. We need people. We need each other. We are not meant to be alone. We are not meant to be isolated. And the, the pandemic really proved that. And yet we still go down this path of more and more isolation. And I think social media is a big part of that. We, um, Buzzy and I laugh because we have seven kids and we can all be in the same house and we're still texting each other. Time for dinner. Uh, because we're all in our little corners in isolation, um, watching things that interest us. Um, so, you know, and, and another, I think, um, example of this extreme isolation are these violent acts that we're seeing across across 
um, the United States across the world, these violent outbursts of mass, mass destruction, mass killing. And those, each of those perpetrators, that is born out of a sense of extreme isolation. We have young people graduating from high school not having one single friend. They leave high school, they think they don't have one friend, they don't feel like they've been seen by one staff person, and this extreme isolation. And then I think back to the way that I was raised and, the, and some of the um, opportunities that my children have had. Um, my children went to Ayapunlitnarvik. Um, it's an immersion school in Bethel that teaches values. It's, it's a values-based curriculum about sharing and community. And I was able to enroll my kids also in the TCLL program in Juneau. It's a Clinket language and learning culture program um, at Harborview Elementary. And one of the people I think of as a real unifier and a leader is the late David Katzig, a Clinket leader in Southeast. And I happened to be at the school one day when they had two elders sitting before this group of elementary school students. And David Katzig said to the elementary school teachers, we have been learning here for thousands of years, maybe not in this spot in Juneau, maybe not in this building, or maybe not in any building at all, but we have been learning here for thousands of years. And he said to the elementary school kids, you belong here. This, is, this building is for you. You belong here. And then he said to them over and over, you are precious. You are precious. You belong here. You are precious. This is a message we've got to share with every Alaskan, every American, every person in the world. You are precious. You belong here. Somehow we have forgotten to say this to our kids. We've forgotten to say this to each other and our elders. And it almost sounds crazy, you know, when you say it. But what more fundamental, unifying thing can we be telling each other? You are precious. You belong here. So those are the words that echo through my mind. And it was so funny because I was driving down Egan Highway with my little kids. My daughter, I think, was in third grade. And I said, that was really powerful, what David Katzik said to you. And she said, oh, yeah, he says that kind of stuff all the time. Um, <laughs> and I love that. I love that response. Um, one of the things that um, I have learned very recently within the last couple years um, elders also give this message um, in the Yukon Delta. The most powerful thing on earth is the human mind. And this came out of a discussion about trauma and can we ever overcome our traumas. And this elder very simply, kind of like the way Nora said it, yes, of course. The human mind is the most powerful thing on earth. Of course, of course we can get over our traumas. The human mind is the most powerful thing on earth. And, and my caveat is if we use it well, if we are disciplined, if we use our mind in the right way, our mind is the most powerful thing on earth.
and when I say this, what I'm talking about is these very pervasive messages that we're getting, mostly in elected politics, about hate and fear and self-pity. And yes, those resonate, those are compelling motivators, but they're destructive, they're acidic, they tear us down. There is no place for hate and fear and self-pity if we're going to survive and thrive and overcome our challenges and use our mind in a way that can overcome any challenge. We, and all of you know that three of our species of salmon in Alaska are on the decline. Chinook salmon have been on the decline for at least 13 or 14 years. The last three years, our chums have, have fallen off the map. They just haven't returned. The last three years, our silver salmon have been in decline in a lot of Alaska. And our reds are abundant. Thank God for reds. Um, God will always provide. He will always make sure that, that we are, are taken care of. And, and he has done this through reds right now. Um, so we are so blessed to have our reds, and I don't want to focus just on the things that are in shortage. I also really want to focus on abundance and getting back to abundance. You know, our crab didn't, we're, we're missing six million crab. Um, a lot of our resources are not coming back. But this is something through unity, through working together, through all sectors, through Western science, through tr traditional knowledge, Every user group working together, we can rebuild abundance. We can have abundance again. We can make sure that our caribou are coming back um, and, and, and regenerating. Um, but this is only going to happen if we use our mind in disciplined ways that promote unity. Um, and, and of course, through sharing. So change is happening. Change will always happen. That's a constant state. We all know that. It's up to us to adapt and be resilient and work together. Um, and of course, do everything that we do, and we know this as well, through faith, hope, love, and wisdom. So I just, you know, I have some closing, um, closing remarks. Um, on Tuesday, I was um, fortunate enough to be invited here for the youth and elders, um, and we did a, my sister, my older sister Anna Sattler and I did a segment on the importance of our foods. It was actually really funny. I'm sorry, most of you missed it. Um, but uh, I was able to spend time um, at youth and elders, and I really want to take a minute also to give Elizabeth Medicine Crow and First Alaskans um, a applause. They had an amazing in-person gathering of 1,300 people, really celebrating young people, celebrating our elders. It's so wonderful to be able to be together again for youth and elders, and especially for AFN. Um, I, I love being here. Um, I am going to spend every second that I can here with you because this is, this is just such positive energy, and I can't believe this is actually called work, honestly. Um, <laughs> but I'm so uplifted in this moment. Um, I'm with my family. I'm with all of you. We're all related. Um, I'm so uplifted in this moment because I see the promise of tomorrow. 
I see it in our children and our grandchildren and all the generations that are going to come after us. And I'm uplifted in this moment because of you. After years of COVID and through economic and political storms, we're together again, celebrating our unity. And I stand before you very humbled. And I'm only able to stand before you in this way because of our unity and because of the faith and hope and love and courage and wisdom um, in this room. And as you head back to your homes this weekend, be sure to travel safely and also continue to share your stories from this incredible time because your journey through these last 10,000 years is one that we are walking every day and I know we will continue on for at least another 10,000 years. Brianna Chaknachbuk. A standing ovation for Representative Mary Paltola's keynote speech. She spoke about the theme of unity for this conference and how it's a product of leadership. Everybody please just give her another round of applause. She's kind of quiet. Kind of On behalf of the AFN Board of Directors, we have a carving, whale bone carving, um, beluga whales by Ross Schaefer of Kotzbue. And I know the ethics rules for Congress have limits in that, so we're loaning this to you in your office so that we can see it every time. So you will get a letter. It's just loaned. It's, it's not. Um, and I'd also like to invite you to come up and say something. Yes. Mary, on behalf of our region, I'd like to thank you for, you know, throwing your hat in for the uh, representative for our state. The position that you recently obtained, especially for a young representative, will more likely be very challenging. But I know that you can do the job. Always remember your roots and where you came from. Again, thank you for representing our regions and the state. And this is a small token of our appreciation uh, from from our region here. 
Vivian is telling me to open these, and I've lear- if I've learned one thing, it's do what I'm told. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful bracelet. <clears throat> oh, this is going to be good. It's a mason jar, so it's going to be good. <laughs> Yes. It's a candle and bubble gum. <laughs> These are real Yupik gifts right here. I love this. Gifts. Gifts and hugs. And I'm glad I don't have to report these Mary to Peltola. ethics. It's wonderful. After Vivian, maybe Senator Hoffman could say some remarks. Vivian? Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Vivian Corthius. I serve as the Chief Executive Officer for AVCP. When we were um, gathering the gifts, I was thinking, I wonder what she, if she chose to come on the plane. <laughs> but, you know, the, the candle of course, is um, a reminder of all of those here in the room, all across the state, especially in the rural areas. And then, of course, the bracelet is just um, some seal skin with beads, but really it is to remind all of us that we belong as one family. And thank you, Mary, for representing all of us. Brianna. It gives me great pleasure to be here today to uh, welcome Mary Sadler-Pratola. I've known her since she was a small little girl fishing on the Kuskokwim with her sister and her father. But um, she has uh, grown and um, the, the world, the state, the United States should be very, very proud to have her representing us in Washington, D.C. Um, the, the people of Alaska are very, very special. AFN uh, and all of you 